Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. Are you ready to unlock the full potential and growth in your business? You've already crossed seven figures in sales, but the challenge is knowing how to take your business to the next level. Join Josh Hadley, an eight-figure e-com business owner and investor, as he interviews highly successful business owners. Get ready, because you're going to learn specific actions you can take today to help your business reach its full potential and leave a lasting impact on the world. Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hadley, where I interview the top business leaders in e-commerce. Past guests include Kevin King, Howard Tai, and Roland Frazier. Today, I'm speaking with Jason Snyder, the co-founder of Summit E-Commerce Advisors, and we will be talking a lot about transforming your e-commerce bookkeeping with an innovative approach. This episode is brought to you by Ecom Breakthrough Consulting, where I help seven-figure companies grow to eight figures and beyond. Listen, Jason, I started my business back in 2015, and I grew it to an eight-figure brand in seven years, but I made a lot of mistakes along the way that made the path of getting to eight figures take even longer. At times, I doubted whether our business could even survive and become a real brand. I wish I would have had a guide to help me grow faster and avoid a lot of those stumbling blocks. So to our listeners, if you've hit a plateau and you want to know the next steps to take your business to the next level, then go to ecombreakthrough.com. That's ecom with two M's to learn more. And as a special bonus to my podcast listeners, this month I'm giving away one $10,000 comprehensive business strategy audit session at no cost. All you need to do is email me at josh at ecombreakthrough.com with the subject line strategy audit and then tell me why your business should win the free audit. And don't worry if you don't win this month because you'll be entered to win for future months to come. But today I'm super excited to introduce you all to Jason Snyder. Jason has been known as a digital marketing entrepreneur. However, most people don't know that Jason has more than 20 years of experience in accounting. Having this background, he saw the problems e-commerce business owners experience with the traditional accounting industry that led to this vision of helping e-commerce business owners understand the different selling platforms, how the fees integrate with payment providers, implementing a profit-first strategy, and gain clarity on their e-commerce business financials. So with that introduction, welcome to the show, Jason. Great. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me today. Jason, I'm, I'm super excited to dive into the details of this innovative approach to accounting and what you've created here. So I'm curious to hear um, how your business got started, right? And, you know, what led you to creating Summit e-commerce advisors to begin with? Yeah, so we, Isaac, uh, my co-founder and myself, uh, had known each other for a few years uh, through a networking group. And around, he'd sold his business in 2019 and was starting to figure out, hey, what's the next step for me? And decided he was going to try to help uh, people, business owners with their bookkeeping, uh, given he had a, uh, I'll say a negative experience or not. Uh, it wasn't what he was looking for as a business owner in e-commerce. Just felt that nobody was paying attention to him. It wasn't speaking to his needs as an e-commerce uh, store owner. And he was sharing some of his challenges and problems of getting that business started. He had like nine or 10 clients, I believe, at the time and was telling me. And I just started answering a bunch of his questions. And the next day, he's like, hey, I think we should partner together. You seem to know what you're talking about uh, and things. And so that was the genesis of us starting to work together. Uh, January 2020, we all know what happened later in the year in 2020, but we launched the business in January 2020 uh, as a way to engage with 
e-commerce store owners to get better clarity in their business finances. I love that. Tell me some of those problems and challenges Isaac was initially facing with the e-commerce, you know, bookkeepers that he was working with. Sure. Uh, so he was working with a CPA firm, as I remember, and it was uh, two problems that he was uh, consistently identifying. One was just a lack of service level in general, of not answering questions about uh, the biggest question he had was, well, the P&L says I made this much money, but that's not what in my bank account right now. Tell me why there's a difference. And there's a, what the account would just say, well, that's what it is. And just kind of left him on his own to try to figure it out. So service level was the first one. And the second one was uh, most accounts don't understand the rapidly evolving technology background or platforms, uh, systems that we have to deploy to really capture and get clarity in our business finances as e-commerce operators. Fascinating. I think that, you know, your first point or pain point there, right, with the service level is, you know, hey, my PL looks great, but where did all of this cash go? And I think you've implemented, you know, that profit first system, which I'm excited to dive into. Um, but then secondly, you know, kind of that tech stack in order to, you know, ac accurately create those financial statements, I think is super important. Let's kind of start there, Jason, with the, the tech stack. What are some of the, you know, with chat GPT and AI, there's been a lot of new software that has come out and it's an ever evolving world for sure. But what are some of the, like the best tech stacks that people should be using um, when it comes to, you know, reporting and creating their finances and bookkeeping? Sure. Yeah. It, I, we use the, internally, we use the thing of keeping it simple. Uh, there's a lot of technology out there. Uh, I think there's actually an overuse by many e-commerce business owners of technology, uh, and that creates other complexities uh, down the road. And an example would be, let's say, a Shopify uh, direct connection to your QuickBooks or your Xero. Uh, in most cases, you're basically recreating your sales ledger inside of QuickBooks or Xero, which is, in my our view, kind of pointless. You know, the, those platforms are designed to manage that information. QuickBooks isn't designed to, to manage and, or doesn't need to be a duplicate of what you've already got. Uh, for us as accountants uh, and me as a business uh, owner, I want to clarity on my finances. And that's what QuickBooks, which is a general ledger software in Zero, are there for. I don't need to recreate these other uh, things that are already platforms that are already existent to support those, those needs. So one, there's a little overuse of it. And two, we want to simplify and just get the things that we actually need. And so example for us on the bookkeeping side is I don't need all 40 sales that happen during the day. I need a daily sales ledger, the totals, how it affected each of the accounts, and then get that recorded so that we can get clarity. So the reporting and data extraction we do later on for more forecasting and things, I don't have to sift through tons of data. I've got less data, but it's more. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Do you have a preference, whether it be using QuickBooks or Zero? Is there a better one over the other? For, for us as accountants, we, if we walk into it, we're going to ask some questions about operationally. That's the first questions we're going to ask before we advise around that. As far as an accounting software, we prefer Zero uh, if it meets the business owner's needs. And there's a few functions that need to be taken care of. So it's more important for the business and the business owner to have comfort and confidence in the systems that they're deploying. So we're not going to say, hey, we prefer zero, so you should use zero. It's going to be operationally first satisfy that need, and then we'll give feedback from our point of view. And so 
if we have a preference, all things being equal, we will have uh, deploy zero in most cases. Yes. Makes sense. I think I what I love as I hear that is that obviously you guys are very client centric in doing what's in the best interest for the client. Um, you know, what are those use cases where QuickBooks might be better than? Uh, QuickBooks, where they have more API uh, build outs for your other platforms and things when those things are necessary, uh, especially if it comes to like a large payroll uh, or an inventory platform that you need those connections there. Many times you don't need those, but in some cases it's, it's needed uh, because the amount of data that's consolidated and imported and also the accuracy of it. You know, if you have manual processes that can introduce uh, some issues if it's not done correctly. So uh, usually it's around APIs and being able to interact with other uh, platforms is usually where QuickBooks has more of a superior deliverable to, to the clients. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Good. So now we kind of have a lay of the land of in terms of, you know, what technology we should be using or the lack thereof, right? Keeping it simple um, and not getting complex. Jason, I want you to dive into you have this holistic kind of more innovative approach that uh, established bookkeepers necessarily don't have. Do you mind providing a, an overview of what is this new innovative approach that you have to better serve e-commerce clients? Right. So we take it from the business owner's perspective. Accounting there is to serve the business and the business owners to make decisions, provide clarity, know what's going on to a large degree. It's never 100% down to the penny accurate, but most of us don't need that level of detail to manage and operate our businesses. So we take a, like you mentioned before, a holistic uh, client-focused uh, process and, and build our systems around that. And a couple of ways we do that is uh, we reimagine, if you will, the, the P&L statement, uh, most of us are familiar with your revenue, your cost of goods, and then your operating expenses. Uh, so we've taken the approach of what we call bucketizing expenses and putting groups of expenses together into a group. You have a subtotal, so you can see where your spend is in these major parts of your business. And so we have a template of uh, sales and promotion or advertising and promotion, operating expense or overhead, uh, website and technology, uh, if you have a larger team, then we'll have like uh, employees uh, or, or human resources. Uh, and we put it into those buckets because it doesn't help a business owner to have to search around and find, okay, I spent so much on this agency. I have these two platforms where I got ad spend. And when they're separated out and you don't see, what we want to give is a single glance to the business owner so they can roughly see, hey, I've spent you know $10,000 on attracting new clients uh, or new customers to, to our store. And things. So that's one way. And the second way is with service. Uh, our team is responsive. Uh, we try to answer questions within 24 hours in most cases. Uh, we don't guarantee that. Uh, some of our clients choose to engage with us at a higher service level to get that those response times. But we're internally, we're always striving for within 24 hours and things. So we're reimagining, trying to reimagine from the business owner's perspective of the experience working with uh, a bookkeeper. Awesome. Yeah, I, I think that's super important. And, and I like that approach. I'm curious, Jason, from your perspective, and you've got lots of experience, what do you feel like are some of the most common mistakes that you see when clients come to you, whether they've been trying to do their bookkeeping by themselves, or they've had another service that's been providing their bookkeeping? Where are you seeing most e-commerce sellers, specifically Amazon, um, sellers making mistakes with their books. In that area, it's the 
connection with Amazon and whatever their, their QuickBooks or Xero of getting those uh, synced up with their accounts if they have those direct connections. So the two most common mistakes we see is those connections not being set up correctly, or as I mentioned earlier, uh, a tidal wave of information. Uh, not so much Amazon specific, but the the understanding what the fees are, where they're going on your general ledger, uh, or in your chart of accounts, where what part of the report are they on, uh, and understanding those those things. And especially if they've got a third party like a, a secondary payment processor or something, where is that showing up on the balance sheet, and where's and how is anybody reconciling it? So that's the first one. Uh, and then the second one is the inventory bugaboo. The, the big question is how do we handle inventory? When am I recording cost of goods? Uh, it goes to Amazon. When do I show it as an expense on my uh, cost of goods? You know. All kinds of those types of questions that we see, and all kinds of different uh, processes and methodologies that are deployed. And most common, what we see there is there's not a, a commonly agreed to process of how that's happened. It's a little bit here and a little bit there, and then their accountant gave them some feedback because they have to reconcile at the end of the year for uh, tax purposes, and then they go back to their uh, other system that was kind of happenstance, if you will. So it's not a clear, concise system on the cost of goods inventory side. Yeah. You know, as I've spoken with many um, entrepreneurs that have exited their businesses or even aggregators that are looking at acquiring other Amazon brands specifically, one of the biggest issues is that cost of goods, right? And not tracking things properly, not adding in, you know, kind of the freight and your actual landed cost and you know, one time I need to purchase 10,000 units, but next time I only need to order 2,000 units. Well, there's going to be a price difference in what you're paying per unit at, um, at each of those different levels. So I'm curious, Jason, from your perspective, you know, could you walk us through in your vision um, the correct way to kind of reconcile um, cost of goods sold on a monthly basis? What, how should people be tracking it, number one, and how should they be reconciling it? at the end of each month. Right, so there's a few methodologies that are out there and largely will depend on your revenue and a few other things that are gonna guide uh, what systems, and also operationally. What's the volume of business? Where's the physical location of the inventory? A few other things, but generally, there will be two system, two different systems. One is where we're gonna apply all the purchases to an inventory account, uh, and then we're gonna look at what was the gross sales for that month, and then the other uh, direct costs, if we're gonna incorporate that as well, uh, and then do an inventory account or have an inventory account, and then we extract out the value from that inventory account and move it to cost of goods on a monthly basis. Uh, that, that's a simple version, and that's for businesses that have a, either a lower volume or don't have a bigger staff, or they've got other uh, challenges on the operational side, or they don't need that, that level of visibility. They've got a separate system that's tracking their inventory uh, and, and things. So that's the first methodology. And the second one is using a software where it's tracking all that down to the SKUs, SKU level of where is, especially if they got multi-location uh, yeah. and things. And so the softwares can handle big chunks of that. What we do is we integrate the other costs that are not incorporated into those uh, softwares that's managing on that cost. It's like, okay, we sold through 2000 units. It was $5 an item. That gets posted to the general ledger, but then there's other costs, like you mentioned, like if you have a 3PL, if you have storage, uh, if you have uh, 
freight uh, or import duties. You know, these are the things that we would argue are uh, direct costs, part of the cost yeah. of goods calculation. Uh, those things need to be added to that on a monthly basis as well. Because again, we talked about earlier, consistency of the data, uh, you need to be doing that. Uh, our recommendation at minimum is doing it monthly, is closing that out on a monthly basis. Yeah, makes makes a lot of sense. Is there any software that you would recommend for Amazon sellers to better track their inventory to help facilitate that? Yeah, it's really tough to give a specific because the landscape changes so quickly. Um, it's uh, just it's just a real challenge for us to be able to say, yes, that's a really good one for Amazon sellers. So there's a couple of factors of how we would recommend the clients to evaluate th those things. One, talk with your accountant, whoever you're working with, bookkeeper, get their feedback because it may make sense for you operationally to have something, especially if it integrates with a shipping system or some other uh, system that helps support your operations of your business, but include your accountant or bookkeeper in not so much the, where they're driving that decision, but they're aware of it and can give you feedback on, hey, this might actually complicate things for us and your data is going to be different on the reporting angle. And hopefully you've got a good enough relationship with them that you're going to trust their advice uh, on that angle. So that would be the first thing. At least give them, hey, we're thinking of going this direction. Do you have any feedback on uh, yeah. Ask that question. Uh, two, like we talked about er earlier, operationally, it's very important. You know, we're not going to come in and say, this. you should do it this way because it's better for us and it calculates the cost of goods correctly. We can handle that. And then it doesn't sync up with an ordering or your uh, 3PL or these different things that you have to do operationally. It needs to be part of the whole picture and not just from us as accountants, yeah, it works great for us, but you're off on your own trying to figure out the rest of it and manage your operation sides of your business and things. And then the third, and I think the most important, do you have a good relationship with, with that vendor, that software vendor? And for me, it's all around service. Uh, for my experience, the software vendors that have reachable customer service that respond within a reasonable amount of time. And when I say reasonable, it means it has to be effective for you. Like if you got a you know a five million dollar a month operation, you need a higher level of service because one day is gonna that goes sideways can cause a big problem for you. Uh, but for the business that has a five hundred thousand dollar month, they're probably not gonna it's not gonna be as a bigger priority. So a reasonable amount of service. My experience has been when I see software vendors that are responsive and engaged with their clients, they're usually a better product and experience and overall deliverable to to the user. So no specific yeah. recommendation, but that's how we walk through with our clients to evaluate decisions. Makes a lot of sense. I think you gave some good guidelines and guideposts for people to follow as they consider those options. So I'm interested in kind of pointing our conversation more to, you know, the unique way that you kind of restructure people's P&Ls um, and the different ways that you bucket um, the different items on a P&L so that a business owner can actually make um, business decisions based on the financials. And so Jason, would you mind kind of diving into some of those buckets in the unique way that you guys view the PNL statement um, catered towards a business owner? Sure. And I'll step up a little bit just of the philosophy of what we're approaching this. We know, at least from my perspective as an entrepreneur, I'm looking at my PNL pretty consistently. Um, but the other reports, like let's say forecasting and some other things that are a little more into the details, I don't look at as much. We're all, almost all of us are familiar, hopefully we're all familiar with our, our P&L statements. So it's something we're looking at quite often. And we look at our job is 
let's leverage the behaviors that we're already doing as business owners. And so us, we went to, okay, let's reformat this so that when you're running your 12-month comparison reports, you can see different trends. And if we're putting those side by side in those buckets, as we're going to talk about, it makes it easier to see, hey, where's my spend going for these different uh, areas, activities in my business? And so uh, we'll start with the uh, advertising promotion, uh, sales marketing, depending on how you want to categorize it. And our view, we want to though we want to order or put in place by the intent of the expense. And what I mean by that is you have an agency that's managing your ad spend. That would be part of your advertising promotion. If you have a VA or an employee who's purely dedicated or half their time is dedicated to that, we want to include that in that bucket. So we're not going to lump together all of the agency spend into a bucket. It's going to be spread around these different areas if you've got multiple agencies. So you're mostly, I know most of our listeners are going to be in the uh, an agency where they're managing the ad spend or developing email strategies or other things like that. Uh, but there might be, you may have a VA that's helping you on the operation side. We want to keep that separate from the, say, gross payroll or gross, uh, you know, contractors. We want to separate that into those different areas of use. So if we had an operations assistant, uh, he or she would be under the overhead costs unless there was a customer service uh, group as well. So that's kind of an example how it works. And, and anything else that we can't categorize, we put into the overhead, those uh, grouping of expenses. Interesting. Very good. So you have overhead, any other buckets that you create? Mm. So advertising, promotion, uh, overhead, uh, or general administrative might be another term that we would use. Um, website technology is another one because uh, uh, some, some of our bigger uh, operators will have maybe a couple different stores that they're managing and they have either a full or part-time technical person on staff uh, and things. And so those are, those are the most common ones. The other one we might have is if there's a, like in our bigger storerooms that have uh, multiple payroll people, we probably have like an administrative side as well, just to break that apart from. And then the final one that we'll do is we call owner's uh, compensation. And that bucket is there for uh, two reasons. One, it gives you better clarity as a business owner, how much you're compensating yourself, but it also includes things that are not necessary for the operations of the business, but are likely advised by your tax advisor to, to make that spend. And an example would be a home office. Is that absolutely necessary to run and operate the business? Most cases not, but we want to recognize that and include that in the net income numbers for the tax uh, advisor. But you, we want to give our clients the visibility of pre-owner compensation, what's the revenue, the net revenue. And a common metric for lower end uh, on the revenue side, uh, businesses that are going to market is seller's discretionary earnings. And right. so we basically put that number above that owner's compensation group of expenses, and then we have the net income number underneath that. So it gives, a, again, a quick glance, because we were getting lots of questions from our clients, like, hey, what's my valuation, what would my business be worth? So rather than field all those questions, we just started putting it into their, their P&L so they can make their own calculations. I like that. So almost having that, that owner's compensation almost be kind of like, here's all of my ad backs in a way, right? Correct. Yeah. And, and we line out about, especially if there's tax considerations, again, it gives better visibility for the tax advisor to, to put it in the right line item. And that also lessens the questions we get at the end of the year, tax season wise from, from our, our clients and their tax advisors. Yeah. Makes sense. 
What what about continuing education, right? Many people purchase masterminds or they purchase, you know, courses to learn about, you know, advertising or whatever it is. Where would you kind of bucket those items? If it's specific to a team member, uh, that's like, let's say on the advertising side, we would include that on the advertising promotion area. Okay. If it's not specific or it's going to be general use, we'd put it under overhead. And if it's owner specific, we would put it down in owner's compensation. Okay. That makes sense. What about kind of just your general e-commerce tools, like kind of like your tech stack, right? So for an Amazon seller, it might be your subscription to Helium 10 or to Jungle Scout or to many of those type of softwares that we use. Um, is there a general rule of thumb that you follow there? Uh, we separate it up based on use. So if there's not a clear use in a, in a particular bucket, then we'll, again, we'll put it under overhead. But if it's, you know, most of the software subscription we see are in two areas. One is supporting the website in general, the stability yeah. of the operations of it. So we'll put that in the website technology bucket. And then we'll, uh, the marketing related ones, we'll put up above in the advertising promotion. Awesome. And the other good thing about that is the, you know, we're all familiar with ROAS and that's a common knowledge metric uh, or KPI within the e-commerce community. We're, again, we kind of wanted to reimagine that of, Ad spend, I know, is a huge part of how we uh, manage and operate our business finances. But we also want to include those other areas that are supportive of that. I think it's important to have visibility on ad spend, usually the biggest dollar amount, but there's also agencies involved. And other things in acquiring a customer takes multiple touch points. And so we want to include those other areas. That's why we like to group those together in that single area so you can see what's my total spend to acquire a customer or keep a customer. Yeah, makes a lot of sense because if you have a advertising specific software, whether um, there's many of them out there, right? Whether it's PackView or um, it, many of the others, what you could do is you add that expense to your overall marketing promotions bucket, sounds like, which I think is very valuable. So it, if I correct me if I'm wrong, but basically there's only four buckets that you create for your expenses. You have your advertising and promotion. You have your overhead or kind of general expenses. Then you have your website technology and then owner's compensation. Are there any other buckets that we're not talking about? Those are the four we deploy in pretty much every one of our customers that starts out with this. Um, the rest of them are generally going to be direct costs. And that, that might be a good segue into uh, our approach to direct costs, which is anything that's elastic with the increase of sales that's directly attributable to the value of the product being sold. And for us, that includes the shipping to arrive to your warehouse, okay. import duties, uh, logistics, anything it takes to get the product to the customer. So if you're managing the shipping, uh, every, everything that goes into that direct cost, that's how our view. And the reason that's important is we need to understand what those elastic costs are going to be for when we're doing cash forecasting and things. Because if if we don't have visibility historically, we're going to miss the mark on, especially if there's a big spike in sales or, uh, you know, some other thing where you weren't expecting it and you need to quickly adjust your orders or your, or your supply. If you don't have visibility, you're going to shortchange yourself uh, in the long term. And this is where we see a lot of times where most of our work with clients ends up being in the gross margin area, really getting clear on what those direct costs. It's not the cost of good itself. It's all of the other inputs expense-wise that deliver that product to the customer needs to be included in direct costs so that you're accurately forecasting your cash needs for inventory and coverage purposes. 
Interesting. So you're kind of, are you breaking them into individual line items then rather than creating a larger bucket that's just shipping, right? Uh, are, are you breaking those up or explain a little bit more in terms of like how you set that up for a business owner to, at a quick glance, look at the, the information and interpret what's going on? Yeah. So most of our, like on the profit first side, when we're going into a new uh, a business that hasn't engaged with us before, uh, 80, 90% of our clients there have gross margin issues. Whenever I hear, hey, I'm, I'm trying to tighten the belt on my operating expenses, uh, invariably it's almost 100% they have gross margin issues. And what I mean by that is they're not incorporating those other things that we were just talking about before in their cost of goods and therefore it's, their pricing is failing them. And yes, there's market forces that are at play in pricing our products, but if you don't have visibility and clarity of what your costs or your inputs are to deliver that product or service, uh, in our case, products, to the customer, then you're going to shortchange yourself and you're thinking it's on the OPEX side when it's almost always on the gross margin side. And so we get very granular. Usually we start with the top 10 SKUs dollar-wise, and then we work our way down from there. And we don't try to do it all at once. We're just looking for the, the biggest dollar movers in the beginning and then trying to come down uh, as however granular that the client wants to get on each SKU get clear on all those inputs for each of those major SKU items or individual items, depending on the number of SKUs that a store has, and get clear on that so that you understand what your pricing things are, because it's super important to know what you're gonna need cash-wise to deliver that product. You can get that into the to the warehouse, but if you're not gonna have enough cash to have your overhead, to run your ads, to support your team, warehouse and logistics, you're gonna be scrambling. And we see that in so common where store owners get caught with uh, trying to liquidate a bunch of inventory at fire sale prices because they caught, caught short on cash. And usually it's because they weren't clear on the, all the inputs it takes to deliver the product and therefore the drug costs. Makes a lot of sense. Jason, let's kind of dive even deeper into like, what are these direct costs that you're speaking of? Because I agree, I think this is something that's overlooked so much. So Let's get into the weeds here. Let's lay out like each of the line items that incorporate into that roll up into a direct cost for just selling a widget. Yep. Uh, so first one would be packaging uh, outside of the, the item itself. Uh, I know many clients have where the products are delivered with the packaging. Sometimes it's added on site. Uh, there's different scenarios, but packaging is the first one. Uh, warehouse costs uh, and how to amortize that to an individual item. We don't get to that level. We, we usually put, group it in its own account and label it 3PL or warehouse or logistics on the direct cost, uh, but we don't we don't try to amortize it down to the individual items sold okay. ourselves. And so those are the kind of two of the major ones. Then uh, if you have a warehouse team members or other people that are dedicated specifically to delivering or preparing the product for sale, that payroll item, needs to be included, that labor item needs to be included. Uh, mm. Some other ones that may not be as visible is for those who have uh, evolving SKUs, where it's seasonal or you're updating it uh, on a semi-annual or timely basis, your creative costs, that needs to be part of that as well. So if you're engaging with it uh, internally or externally creative to update the packaging on a seasonal basis, whether it's yearly or semi-annually, that needs to be included as well. Uh, and there's some debate of where do you insert advertising? Is that part of the direct cost? In our view, it's not. 
And the reason why we drive that, and this is not directly for Amazon sellers, but in a broader e-commerce sense, and we want clients to be thinking about alternative traffic sources. So we want people to think, business owners to think about, yeah, there are other ways that we can engage traffic. It's not all uh, paid ads, strategies, and things. Yeah, that's a huge driver for all of us. But let's be thinking about other things that if we can keep our ad spend the same and we can get more sales, that's a good strategy in my view. And so yeah. we want to, that's why we don't include it in the direct cost or the, you know, uh, up above the gross margin area ourselves is because we want clients to be thinking about, yeah, there's other s- strategies that we can deploy to, to get more customers, whether it's email uh, uh, and things like that. Again, not directly applicable to a lot of Amazon sellers, but I think it's useful to be thinking in that, that regards as well. Yeah, I, I, I like that approach too, in terms of the advertising, because there is a debate. Do you roll up advertising? It's Amazon's becoming much more of a pay to play type of platform. So do you roll it up above gross margin uh, or gross profit, or do you leave it below? I like the idea of if it sits below um, your gross profit margin does lead to, hey, if we want to reduce this, but still grow sales, what are other ways to market our products outside of just our Amazon sponsored ad costs? And might be an influencer strategy. It might be Pinterest ads or might be some other type of ad strategies just to start allowing business owners to get a little more creative. Correct. Yeah, it's we we want to provide clarity, knowledge, and also we know technology changes a lot. Uh, that's the like you just mentioned about uh, Amazon and lots of the other platforms are the you know pay to play. Uh, but as we've seen with AI and other things, the technology landscape changes rapidly and having one mindset to approach uh, business development or sales development, I think is a disservice for, for entrepreneurs and we're there to service a need and that technology and the other uh, methods may change as long as we're delivering value to our clients. Uh, that's what we want to be focused on. And so that's why I'd like to separate it out again, more ph- philosophical approach, but I think there's value there to to having it separated, but that's why we put it at the top of that, that P&L, the advertising promotions, the next line and below gross margin. So you can see it's right there. Visible. I like that. I, I like that you also mentioned earlier in our conversation that the reason why you break things down into these bigger buckets is for a better year over year or month over month comparison. Can you explain why that would be important to have them in their buckets as you compare? Is it best to compare year over year or month over month? What's your kind of feedback and direction to clients there? Uh, we like doing monthly comparisons. Uh, so as many of us who are familiar with either buying or selling e-commerce businesses, that people like to look at the, those numbers on a monthly uh, basis, and we see the same thing, and it helps us see trends. We're looking at what's the trends, what's going on, and trying to tie it back to decisions or things that have happened in the past, like, oh, yeah, we launched this new uh, product, or we have a different agency now, or you know we switched to a, this a different platform for our paid traffic strategy. All these different things that we're making decisions about, we often don't look back and say, okay, how did that decision go? Why did I make it back then? And here's the results. Many times it's, I made a decision and then eh, I think it worked, but I never really am clear about it. There's varying degrees of, uh, ambiguity, if you will, uh, around that. But in general, there's not a systematized approach to that. And so if we bring it visible in a monthly way for our clients on the piano, again, leveraging their same habits that they're already doing, it becomes easier for them to see those things 
without us having to point it out to them or them to drive questions, which is very rare, unfortunately. Most of our clients uh, or medium clients don't engage with us and ask those questions. And having that visible to them puts it in front of them to make them think about it uh, and things. And so too much data, too little data, I think that's a good uh, blend between the two, in my view. Yeah. Do you have any examples of, you know, things that can grow or evolve month over month that seeing them in the different buckets and comparing them, it, you know, can show like warning signs or, hey, yeah, things are, we're crushing it. Mm. Um, for us, it was about two years ago. Um, we noticed within June, July, about 2021 20, it was, yeah, that we started seeing for several of our clients, Google Ads uh, affecting us drop precipitously for several of our clients. And we were able to see that within like a month of looking back and like, oh, the ad spend is still thin, but the sales have dropped. And so mm. we were able to confirm that with several clients. Uh, it didn't hit everybody the same, but we saw the trend. And so in talking with uh, some of our clients, we'd have monthly calls with some of them. Uh, one client mentioned that I wish you would have told me that like two or three months ago, because I was beating myself up that I was screwing something up somewhere and it helped to validate that, like, hey, I don't need to change a lot of things um, because it's not me. It's a broader uh, impact. Now, he's, at least he had awareness of that, whether he whether that was the right decision or not. That's for him to decide later on down the road. But at least we were able to bring that visibility of seeing the broader trend, comparing it to all of our other clients and seeing that that happen. And so the having those numbers on a regular basis, again, e-commerce monthly is important because things move so fast in our view. Yeah, yeah. Totally agree. And I think one other important aspect that I would point out is that if you're comparing your Amazon fees, right, your FBA fees month over month, you'll be able to identify when Amazon increases their fees and the impact it is having on your gross profit margin, right? Because I think too many times people don't, they let this, you know, fee increase go by and they're like, oh, well, I, I haven't really seen a direct impact. Whereas if they actually started comparing, they would see like, oh, wow, I went from a 20% FBA fee to now I'm at 22%. Like I just lost two percentage points in net profit margin at the end of the day because I haven't adjusted my prices or anything like that. And so again, it, it provides the business owner with at least the insight of like, hey, things are creeping up here. You may want to consider adjusting your prices to maybe combat this and bring it back down. Right. And, and that's something that we see. It's, again, dollar volume wise, it's not huge to, unless it's a high volume, uh, high uh, sales uh, store. Uh, but that's an example of Amazon's constantly changing the fees and where they're posting it. And it'll we catch it because we use software to uh, match with uh, QuickBooks or Zero each fee. So whenever there's a new fee that's not in, in our ecosystem, we're going to know about it right away because it'll post it to like another expense mm -hmm. so if it doesn't already map it's just going to try to create a new account and so our team will see it and we'll be aware of it and so we we generally put those into a bucket but like you said having that visibility and knowing about those things especially if it's related to a uh, consistent sale or it's going to be ongoing something like that the amazon notorious for adding things and not telling or making people aware of that <laughs> yes yes indeed um it, are you using a2x is that your connection Yes. That? Yeah, that, that was uh, our, and we require that for all of our clients that we work with. Uh, it saves anywhere from, you know, 30 to 50% on our clients' monthly billings by, wow. by implementing that. 
Um, it gives us a lot of visibility, for, like you said, on the fees things. That way we don't have to manually check those. We see it right away because they're a service. And then also for us, if there ever is an issue, HX is usually able to handle on the technology side. There are other ways to manage that, usually through a macro in Excel or something, but then uh, we prefer to focus on the finance side and not on the technology side. So we we use A2X as our, as our service provider there. Makes sense. I want to, before we dive into the profit first strategy that you guys implement with your clients, that's, I think, the crux of this conversation. Um, but before we get there, I'm wondering, do you have any, maybe some guideposts that you could provide to us, maybe specific to Amazon sellers that are, you know, hey, here's on average what your average cost of goods sold as a percentage of revenue should be. And here's on average what your, you know, FBA fees should be. Um, and then even your advertising, right? Like what, what percentage of your total revenue should your total ad cost be? Do you have any kind of um, mile markers for us to use as a rule of thumb to say, hey, it sounds like I'm ahead of this or I'm behind, like maybe I need to do better? Yeah, the, we focus on the gross margin aspect of it. So those are all okay. very useful metrics that feed into that that number. Um, what we found is having gross margin as as the, the focal KPI or measurement uh, thing. We use that for clients that are Hey, should I get into this product line, or should I be adding the SKU? I hope uh, definitely we'd like those questions. It's not as as often as we'd like to get those questions, but yeah. So we're generally teaching our clients let's target thirty percent gross margin, and that's where that exercise that I mentioned to you before of the direct costs and things like including your creative packaging, these all these other inputs into creating the product and delivering it to the customer yeah. needs to be incorporated into that that's where we reach that 30% gross margin. And so it's been tough for us. We've tried to get a little more granular on that and we've had to kind of come back to the gross margin thing uh, just because there's the, sh the fee landscape changes a lot, the advertising ROAS market uh, yeah. landscape changes a lot, and then the products like, for example, the supply chain challenges we all experienced in the last year, two years, uh, how that shifted a lot of things. And so We've kind of always circled back to the gross margin unless there's a specific instance and a client has a lot more data for us to utilize. So I would say to anybody, target 30% gross margin. You're generally going to have, I'll say it, somewhere close to self-liquidating growth, as we call it. Perfect. It makes a lot of sense. Are there any other big KPIs um, that you would have people track other than gross margin? Uh, the other one would be your net margin. Uh, what are you in business for? We'll, and we'll get into the first it sounds like in a little bit but the i've had successful entrepreneurs uh they're looking at that net margin number uh quite consistently and they've been successful in other uh places outside of the e-commerce industry as well you know we entrepreneurs have multiple opportunities lots of opportunities in fact many far too many of them i'd say that we can sometimes we get distracted um so you know what are we in business for and we want to make some money. We got to, for our labors, our work, our risk, that we need to have some net margin. And so I always see the successful entrepreneurs are targeting some, they have some number in mind of why am I even in this business? If I'm not able to reach that 10, 15, 20% net margin, well, why am I here? Uh, they ask that question. And so that would be one I think that's missed, especially in the last previous few years where their valuation metrics were getting uh maybe a little bit out of hand or depending on your opinion, 
of it. It's definitely different than it was in the prior years. Yeah. And I think the easier money uh, that was available for those are, is probably going to be uh, less available. And so we're going to have to get back to the basics of is the, business, is the store profitable? Is the business profitable? And so for me, it would be the net margin, would, a, a consistent applier to that for entrepreneurs. Those have been the successful ones that I've seen. Makes sense. With the net margin, I'm curious, do you, when you calculate your net margin at the end, um, are you adding back any of your owner's compensation expenses to that? Or is, do you almost kind of have two net profit, um, I guess, metrics at the end of each month? It's like, here's what it is, including your owner's compensation stuff. Here's what it is if you're not including. Um, what we would use is if the owner's active in the business, we would incorporate their, their salary as part of the business expenses and include that cost in the net margin. If they're not actively involved in the business or very little, uh, like the situation uh, you mentioned earlier, we would add that back to come up with. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Awesome. Well, Jason, let's pivot now and start focusing on this profit first mentality, because I think this is one of the most important things that you do and you help your clients with. So why don't you give us a breakdown and, and ideally how an entrepreneur in e-commerce could execute this strategy themselves? Yeah, the problem first is the number one system I see that makes a difference in businesses, not just e-commerce, but and we're going to be talking primarily about the e-commerce angle of it. Um, the confidence after implementing a system in any business owner with Profit First goes sky high. And the way I like to frame it in this way of you're taking 80% of the finance worry and putting it into a system that you can implement anywhere from one to two hours a week where you're going through your numbers, you're allocating your money between the accounts, paying your bills, looking at your numbers, and you've consolidated that worry, that concern into a trusted system uh, that you can implement that doesn't require a lot of extra education and knowledge. And with the technology, especially uh, the banks that have been uh, popping up, fintech banks have been popping up in the last couple of years, there's no excuse for online or e-commerce entrepreneurs to implement a system like that. Makes a lot of sense. Would you kind of break down the details of how you would execute that in e-commerce business then? Uh, so to start with, we would do what we call a profit assessment. So we take the financial data, this is where we need good bookkeeping in place to do this, uh, looking at the last 12 months of numbers, P&L, balance sheet, and then we recast it into a profit first format. And what I mean by that is we take those numbers and put it into, hey, this is what your OPEX is. This is what you're in. Like we talked about buckets, it's kind of a similar process, but on the cash management side. And so we're seeing where's the money going to. We want to give visibility to the to the business owner. Where does your funds go to? You know, for every dollar of revenue, what's the percentages uh, of where that dollar was divvied up among these areas? So we create, well, hey, this is, and we call it current allocation percentages or caps. So we get that picture, okay, this is where you're at. And then we have the targets of where we want to go. And Mike talks about in the book, uh, Mike McCallitz, the originator or author of the system, Profit First. He has some metrics that he's built out based on his research across the board uh, with businesses, which are pretty accurate. Anybody could use those, e-commerce store owners, uh, anybody can use those to self-implement Profit First. Where our expertise comes into play is nuancing it to e-commerce store owners and the different things that are nuancing it. And then like I talked about earlier of looking at the broader picture of 
multiple clients in implementing it and what's their challenges, what happens when they run into these situations. Our expertise is those coming in and being able to provide advice. And so starting with the current allocation, building a roadmap for six months going forward of our target allocation, and then we're slowly implementing and trying to get to those metrics so that we retrieve that profitability and stability, financial stability of the business. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. You you mentioned that, you know, the challenge is somebody trying to adopt this into the e-commerce space. What challenges have you seen, you know, that you're able to help clients navigate through implementing this profit first strategy for e-commerce? So the two biggest impacts we see for our e-commerce clients, one is like we talked about earlier, the gross margin question is like I mentioned, uh, that's where we get that visibility on the gross margin of, are you even close to what you're trying to achieve gross margin wise? Is it in the, even in the right buckets? And so as part of that process, we get really clear on the gross margin. Uh, we'll also do a quick win in the beginning of doing an operating expense review. In my experience, compared to brick and mortar businesses, e-com operators are generally more efficient on the operating expense side, um, but they're less efficient on the traffic spend side uh, where they make these larger assumptions about what's going to happen when they bring that traffic in. And generally, there's not a look back of, are those even successful? Or are they meeting the, the metrics in mind? So we get yeah. really visible OPEX review, gross margin review, and then we work with the business owner, hey, what's your long-term goals? Is this something you're looking to, to exit from in a three to five-year window? Is, is this a hold play? Uh, you know, are you an aggregator? What's, what's your story? What are you looking to achieve in the long term? And then we use our expertise to, to give some advice on what those, that roadmap is to get to that six month of changing from your current to your target of where you want profitability wise for the business to get to. Makes sense. So do you kind of almost calculate if I want 10% net income, right? You start kind of setting up the systems then so that at the end of the year, you would get to that point then? Is that a correct assumption? Yeah, that's that's a basic nutshell of it. Yeah, it's uh, getting those so you're really clear on like, what do, what do I need to achieve sales wise? And or these other inputs of making that number happen, uh, you know, pro- pricing my product, or maybe I need to drop some SKUs because they're eating cash, or that's cash sitting on the shelves that I could apply to this other SKU that we keep running short of. And that's actually driving profitability. And so Sometimes it's a review of the SKUs. Uh, again, we start with the, the top 10, and then we work our way through there as the client thinks that they need to get that level. Um, and the other one you asked about impact, and I forgot to mention this, was the inventory side. Uh, so two of the most common things we work with that make the biggest impact is the gross margin question, and then having enough funds to buy or acquire more inventory on a timely basis. And one of the two accounts that we'll set up with all of our clients outside of the normal system that Mike talks about. One is an inventory account or a lead time account. Uh, uh, okay. And so having every, let's say we, the broad mix of your cost of goods is, uh, let's say 50% just for ease of argument's sake. Yep. And so 50 cents of every dollar of revenue is going to be allocated to that inventory account so that you're replenishing, able to make your orders on a timely basis and not have to you know, be scrambling at the last minute, uh, getting your, your supply chain organized and being able to deliver on, on time and things. So allocating a percentage of your gross revenue to an inventory or replenishment account so that it takes away a huge chunk of your worry. It's not going to be exact to the penny, but that's one of the goals is to have a, 
a reserve or an inventory reserve. There's different names our clients have used for those accounts, but it's effectively an inventory account. Its specific purpose is to have enough funds to uh, acquire inventory or a big chunk of it. I love that. That's a great uh, little gold nugget there that you dropped with us all. So I love that. Um, well, Jason, this has been such a fun conversation, and I know I've certainly learned a lot. Um, I love to leave the guest with three actionable takeaways from each episode. Here are the three actionable takeaways that I noted, but Jason, let me know if you think I'm missing something. So first and foremost, you've got to, if you're not paying attention to your books right now, you should be looking at your books. And I would recommend you need to do this at least on a monthly basis. Um, if you are not looking at, hey, what happened last month? and then reevaluating and comparing, how does this compare to what happened the previous month? And being able to see those shifts and changes, whether your advertising is becoming less efficient or your Amazon fees or just general processing fees, wherever you're selling are creeping up. If you're not aware of those things, you're gonna look back at the end of the year and say, what the heck happened? And so as a business owner, first and foremost, make sure you've implemented a monthly financial review to review these metrics. Then secondly, it, my next action item is that you need to make sure that what you are putting into this accounting system is actually accurate because if it's crap in, then it's crap out, right? And so it's important to make sure that the data you are feeding it is correct data, right? So again, evaluating the right software partners is important. And we talked about a couple of them, A2X, if you're an Amazon seller and how that can integrate and help break things down for you and make sure that it goes into the right buckets. But make sure that you're tracking and probably the, the biggest portion here of accurate financials is going to be your cost of goods sold, right? So making sure you have a really good way of, of tracking those cost of goods sold and the software that might help you facilitate that. My third and final action item is to implement a profit first system in your business. And I love the idea that Jason had of creating an extra bucket instead of the standard, hey, here's my profit and here's my tax um, accounts. But creating this inventory account is very, very important so that when it comes time to make those purchases, you actually have money set aside to do that. Um, extremely valuable. So, and I think Jason has even more wisdom he could share. And I would encourage you to reach out to him if you have questions about setting this up in your own business. Uh, Jason, are there any other actionable takeaways that you think I missed here? I think you captured it very well there. That each of those ones, consistently looking at your finances, understanding your direct costs and profit first uh, definitely will make a big difference for each of your listeners. Awesome. Well, Jason, this has been super valuable. Um, I like to ask each guest three questions. So we're going to start at the top here, Jason. What has been the most influential book that you've read and why? Uh, Profit First, Mike McCallowitz. Um, it's, I wish I would have had that system 10, 15 years ago when I was doing bookkeeping and consulting uh, my previous business. This is my third bookkeeping accounting business. And if I would have had that, I would still have been doing it. It would have been like my second decade. So it's the impact it's had with our clients is just uh, almost astounding. So that would be the most influential book. Yeah. I'm curious, without the Profit First uh, methodologies and strategies, what ends up happening with the money? Does it do business owners just tend to just kind of spend it on frivolous things or why does it just disappear without 
profit first implement. I think it's the, like Mike talks about, it's the small plates theory, if you will, of breaking things into and being intentional. I look at it if it's at the philosophical level, it'd be intentional, being intentional with your cash and where it's going. And so that system, breaking it into smaller groups, allows you to have that visibility to stay consistent with being intentional. Makes a lot of sense. All right, here's my next question here for you. What is a new productivity or software tool that you've recently discovered that you think is going to be a game changer? For me, it's uh, one of two things. One is uh, uh, called Rescue Time. I've been using it for a few years. I don't know how new it's been, uh, but there's different things where it's tracking my different uses and time, uh, different things that I'm a part of. And it's allowed me to get, oh yeah, (laughs) spend a little bit too, too much time going through YouTube for training videos of looking for searching for things that, oh, I should probably delegate that to my assistant uh, and things. And so it's not where beating myself up about it, but it's using something where I get a little bit of visibility of, okay, I need to step back and uh, delegate this or something to like measuring my behaviors or whatever. Because most of our, all while we work and most of our listeners, I assume, would be similar where they're on their laptop or their desktop uh, a lot of the time during the day. So for me, it's one of the, some type of a tracking. And the other one is Pomodoro, using one of the different Pomodoro apps of putting things into to buckets of time-wise. Like 20 minutes, I'm going to focus on this, and then, uh, then it's lunchtime or break time or meditation time. Yeah, I love that. Those are some great recommendations and rescue time. Again, that is so, so important. Doing time studies is something every entrepreneur should be doing at least quarterly. So that is great. All right. My final question is, who is somebody that you admire or respect the most in the e-commerce space and why? Mm, in e-commerce, I would say another of our Prop First communities is actually Cindy Thomason. So when I joined, she had been, she works with a lot of Amazon sellers uh, in her business, very similar services. Uh, but I learned a lot from her when I joined Profit First of seeing how she was engaging with clients and the impact again that she was having with her uh, Amazon clients and things. And so for, for myself, maybe a little self-centric or i guess you'd say but it's been very helpful for me and then also helping our clients that are in e-commerce as well awesome well that's a great name to point people towards well jason if people want to learn more about the services that you offer um the bookkeeping the strategies and how to implement this all in their own business where could people reach out to you yeah so you can find us our web presence is summit ecommerce.co uh, that's our website there. Uh, you can also email me, jason at summitecommerce.co. And then I'm also on uh, LinkedIn as well, Jason Snyder. And my title there is Profit First Zealot. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Jason, you have shared a lot of wisdom with us all. I definitely encourage our listeners to reach out to you and, and to learn more there. But I appreciate your time, Jason. Thanks again for joining the show. Yeah. Thanks again for having me, Josh. Thank you for listening. Visit ecombreakthrough.com for more information. If you've enjoyed today's episode, the best way you can show your appreciation is by clicking the subscribe button and quickly leaving a review. See you again next time.